This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good morning, everybody. It's Tuesday morning. It's jumping day here on Horses in the Morning. I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And unfortunately, no Emily Thompson. Jennifer's here, though. Hi, Jennifer. I'm here. Yay! Emily came down with a a mild case of colic. Uh, We gave her some... We gave her a little bit of banamine, and she's resting comfortably. Judging by the emails, none of that is true. She's come down with a major (laughs) case of colic. She is not resting comfortably, and she's very sorry she's not here. So I think that uh, you you were giving her too much credit. So we hope that she feels better. She was hoping to make it, but uh, as of my last email about 20 minutes ago, it didn't sound good. So you are listening to the special jumping edition of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August the 2nd, episode 1485, brought to you today by Essequestrian and Walsh Products. Good morning, Horse World. Oh my God, it's Tuesday. It's top-class show jumping uh, at the very best. Every horse is different, and you've got to be able to understand and read each different horse. Remember, we're looking for those clears in this round to go forward to the jump off. You can't ask for anything more. It's just pure theatre. So Jennifer and I will do our best to fill Emily's tiny shoes. I would say she has big <laughs> shoes, but she really doesn't. She has a little tiny feet. So we'll do our best to fill her tiny shoes today. And uh, we have a ton of guests and stuff planned for you. So I'm sure that will be fine. Uh, although there, if there's yeah, one... I have, I'm a little bummed, though, yeah, I have to say. Yeah, I know. It's I'm always... a little bummed. You went down to Wellington and visited Emily for the day. Yep. And I got your version of the visit. But I was really excited to hear Emily's version of the visit. Let me tell you, she works hard. She really does. She She's riding horses all day long from one farm to the next, driving in between, uh, stops for her uh, for her vegetarian uh, junk food, and, and is on to the next one. Actually, I don't think she's a vegetarian, <laughs> but she eats a lot of junk food. Um, and then on to the next one, and she rides her four horses at that farm, and then on to the next one. And she does that in a 100-degree heat in Wellington, Florida, all day long. So I think maybe it just finally caught up with her. Who knows? Caught or some of that junk food did. I don't know which. Well, junk food, yeah. <laughs> I don't know which. But why don't you tell us what's coming up on today's show, and uh, and we'll get on with it. Okay. Coming up on today's S Equestrian Jumping episode, brought to you by Walsh Products, Aaron Gilmore from Noel Floyd has the latest from the Olympic venue, including what's going on, what's not going on, and how she's going to get there. And then a sports psychologist, Sarah Becker, is going to talk about the importance of stress management for riders. And then Brian from Voltaire Saddles is going to introduce the world's first smart saddle. Ooh. And then wrapping the show up like in a pretty blue ribbon, Leslie from Walsh Products is going to have a product highlight for us. So stay tuned for the fray. All right. Very good. Thank you, Jennifer. Well, Emily's not here, and I do have a daily Winnie, so I thought I'd do that first. 
Well, I do have a happy birthday and a couple of announcements at the same time. Happy birthday to Piper Clem, who is of the Plaid Horse magazine, and we're very excited to announce for the first time here on the show that she is starting, along with the the Plaid Horse magazine, are starting a weekend episode of Horses in the Morning on the fourth Saturday of every month. We're gonna we have some more weekend Ooh. episodes here planned for you. Now, the way the weekend episodes are going to work is, and we're first one is this weekend, the Australian episode with Fiona has moved to the weekend, and they're going to be an hour long and not live. So we'll just put them out on the feed so you'll be able to listen to them anytime you want to. They will not be hosted, well, the Australian episode this weekend it will be, but uh, for the most part, the weekend episodes will not be hosted by Jamie and I, so it's kind of going to be a different crew, and we're hoping to bring you something a little different on the weekends here on Horses in the Morning, so that'll be starting, and we're looking for Piper has a huge following on social media the with the Plaid Horse magazine. She does a great job with that. Hundreds of thousands of people yeah. follow her. And you see that thing everywhere. She yeah. is a, and I might say... Yep. She has the coolest name ever. Piper Clem. I love it her name. Actually Piper sa- Clem. It does just sound- sound- she just sounds like a character in a novel. Yes. She sounds like she should be a radio host. And I got to tell you, Piper is so excited about this. She's a huge podcasting fan, has been for years, and has always wanted to have her own podcast. So she, uh, we're happy that they decided to do that over here. And also, starting this Thursday, two days from now, is the first monthly Draft Horse episode brought to you by the Draft Horse Journal. I'll be co-hosting with Lisa Graham, who is one of the top announcers in the Draft Horse world. She does 120 shows a year around the country. She knows everybody in that world and we are going to be sponsored by the Clydesdale Breeders of the USA and that first episode talking all about everything Draft Horse is coming up on Thursday and I'm so looking forward to that everybody that listens to the show on a regular basis knows I'm a pony and Draft Horse guy I don't like this at all I do not (laughs) like this it's going to make me want another Pertron you know that right all Uh, I'm going to hear about every Thursday (laughs) the first was it? Are they the first Thursday fourth, of the month? Thursday of the month. First Thursday. First Thursday. Of the, month. Yep. the first week of every month. All I'm going to hear about is how Glenn wants a draft horse, and such and such uh, podcast listeners send him an email about one looking for a home, and blah 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 blah. And they poop way too big. No. <laughs> and if you do have any in Florida that are looking for a home, drop me an email. No. La 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 la. So we're looking forward to that. That's coming this Thursday. Some new programming here on the Horse Radio Network. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Olympics coming up. Uh, And I have a little bit of history here for you. The Olympic events began in the equestrian Olympic events began in 1900 uh, with competitions in polo. And there were also vaulting, foreign hand driving, male coach driving. I, I got to look up more about what that was. Mixed hacks and hunters and three types of jumping. They did the high jump, the long jump, and the show jumping uh, were all held at the 1900 Olympics. They basically, as everybody knows, were rooted in cavalry skills and classical horsemanship, what the cavalry had to learn. And, and it was really only active duty officers that competed in the Olympics up to 1952. It was in 1952 uh, that... Uh, Civilian riders were allowed to compete. Equestrian is the only Olympic sport with animals compete with humans. Now, you hear all the time, and I know Jamie says this a lot, and I'm going to have to correct her. Uh, she, she says a lot that the 
that this is the only support w- sport where males and females compete against each other, and that's not true. Apparently, in some of the sailing com- uh, divisions, males and females compete with each other. Mixed doubles in tennis and mixed doubles in badminton. So we're not the only one. There are others. Those sports aren't as cool as ours. That's right. In two instances, the equestrian portion of the Olympics has been held in a different location from the rest of the Games. The first was in 1956 in the Summer Games in Melbourne, Australia, when due to Australian quarantine laws for animals, the equestrian portion was held in Stockholm, Sweden that year. So, I mean, completely different place than, than the Olympics. And the second hey, instance... look what I found. It's this. this I, I, had to, I had to Google yeah. Male coach. This event, the, the male coach driving, the, this event is also known as the mixed foreign hand and appears as, as that in some references. In the 1900 in Paris, the gold went to Belgium, the silver went to France, as did the bronze. So I guess they had more than one team. I wonder what mixed there you foreign go. hand means. <laughs> I don't know what exactly that means. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. Were the horses mixed? Were uh, like some white ones and some black ones and some red ones and some gray uh, ones? I don't know. And they, <laughs> the, mixed exactly ha- the mixed hacks and hunters. <clears throat> Fran- France uh, just took all the awards there. I think they had these these events specifically so that the French teams could the win Fran- some more medals. French, yeah. I think that's what this is all about. Yeah. All right. Well, while yeah, Jennifer is getting uh, Aaron on the phone, I'll go over a couple other things here with you. Uh, the second instance where the uh, equestrian events were not held at the same place as the Olympics was recently in Hong Kong. It was held in Hong Kong rather than Beijing. The Summer Olympics have included 2,129 equestrian participants, including 1,750 men and 378 women from 69 different countries. The oldest rider was 72-year-old in Austria in 1936 Summer Games, and the youngest was a 16-year-old from Brazil in the 2008 Summer Olympics. Three athletes, uh, Rainer Klemke from Germany, Isabel Wirth from Germany, and Anki von Grunsven from the Netherlands have each earned eight medals. Germany leads the country medalist rankings with 21 gold medals, 42 overall, followed by Sweden with 17, 41 overall, and France with 12, 34 overall. Now, um, also, the uh, well, we have. I'll, I'll continue on with more Olympic uh, trivia and things as the show goes on, but. Somebody that's more knowledgeable than me and ever will be more knowledgeable than me in jumping is Aaron Gilmore here from Noel Floyd, joining us to talk a little bit more about the Olympics and what's coming up. Hi, Aaron. Hi, how's it going? Okay. Now, as I hear it, this is one of the rare times we've talked to you in recent history that you're at home. Yes, I'm in America for five whole days. Wow. (laughs) Now, is your home still there? Uh, uh, my home? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. Of course. Just check Florida. <laughs> I'm in Wellington. I'm one of the few people actually in Wellington right now, actually. Yes, I know. Watch what you Ghost eat. Town. Yeah. Watch what you eat, because apparently Emily got something bad, and that's why she's not on the show this morning. So be careful what you eat in Wellington oh. right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now, are you going to Rio? Yes, I leave for Rio on Friday. And, and what I you- am there the whole time. The whole time. And of course, uh, eventing starts this week and starts on Saturday. Yeah. What, Friday, Saturday. 
Starts on Saturday. Saturday. Friday's the the jog. So and then no, wait, 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 yep. wait, 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 wait. Back up a little bit. So, Aaron, you're there for the entire Olympics or just the entire equestrian? Well, you know, the entire equestrian stretches over the entire Olympics. The opening oh, ceremony does? is August 5th. Yeah, and the closing ceremony is August 20th. So the equestrian competition is August 6th through 19th. Well, that oh, works cool. out so for you. it runs the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, score. <laughs> Good deal. So what are you hearing early, you know, from your friends on the ground? Has anybody arrived yet? What are you hearing? So far, so good. Yes, my friend, uh, the commentator, Stephen Wilde, is there posting lots of pictures on Facebook. And so far, so good. I don't know if you guys have read uh, Will Connell's blog. He's the USF director of sport. You have to read it. He's hilarious. Um, he's posting on USF Network every day just kind of managing the arrival of the eventing horses. Uh, he's, and he's, he's real honest too. He's a, he's kind of talking about how some things are disorganized and some aren't, but it sounds pretty normal for a big horse show actually. So uh, yeah, so, so far so good. Tentatively. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, and I read an article, was it the daily mail, which of course is known for its quality articles. Um, Right. read an article about the Australian team having a little trouble with their quarters and their living quarters and all of that. But haven't we heard that about every Olympics where there's a, where there's new athlete housing built? Yes. Yeah. And the Australians didn't listen to the Brazilians. Every Brazilian verbatim has said, don't worry, it'll be ready. It'll just be the very last minute. It'll be ready. So it's not the very last minute yet. The Australians <laughs> were early. So if they'd only listened, <laughs> they'd only stayed arrived. till Friday. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Do you know our, what we're hearing That's, about the opening ceremonies? I haven't read anything about that. Uh, no, you know, I haven't read anything about it either. I haven't uh, seen anything about it. I'm missing the opening ceremonies. I'm not too upset about that um, as far as hundreds we haven't of heard anything people in the they're stadium not ready go. Yet. <laughs> they're not ready yet. That's right. <laughs> you know, Lauren Kiefer, one of the eventers who's there, she posted a video yesterday on Facebook out at her her athlete village window of people practicing for the opening ceremonies, doing like a dance. Oh, so that's, that's that is the beginning and end of everything I've seen and heard about opening ceremonies. Well, now you're going to be one of 25,000 journalists covering the games. <laughs> really? That's a good piece of trivia. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you, you, not only are you going to be in a sea of athletes and spectators, you're going to be in a sea of journalists. You've been to these big events before. What is the media center like at like the Olympics? I've never been to one that big. Oh, well, you just asked my number one question that Steve Wilde wouldn't even answer yesterday. Uh, what is the media center like? Uh, that's a million dollar question right now. I don't know. Uh, at other events, it's great. It's big, secure. It's got a lot of security points. It's got some lockers. It's got some internet. Um, I don't yet know if I'll have any of that in Brazil. So, and no one knows that yet. Okay. So the media really hasn't, the equestrian media hasn't started arriving yet? At this point, no. Okay. I uh, Shannon Brinkman, who I'm working with, she she goes today. Molly Bailey from Chronicle Horse goes today. A couple Dutch photographers I know are are going tomorrow. I think so. People start to arrive, and we'll sort of find out. But you know, we don't really know how it's going to be into the first day of competition when eventing dressage begins on Saturday morning. So, what was it like for you guys in London? Was it a great big tent? What? How did they do it in London? No. Well, I mean, okay, we were in London which is amazing. It was inside some huge mansion of historical significance that they cleared out a big hall for the media. And uh, we're in this beautiful building that was across from the arena in Greenwich Park. 
So we're not expecting it to be anything like London, okay? <laughs> You're not going to have 300-year-old paintings on the walls. and. <laughs> I'm guessing no. Uh, the arena, though, at Theodora looks good. People have been posting some pictures, and it looks done, first of all. The stabling looks done. The stabling looks good. It looks new and clean. Actually, the stalls stabling, look big. yeah, the stalls look big. They're concrete block. Um, and and yeah. the, actually, they have nice stall doors. I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, yeah. but nice stall doors. And I actually kind of like the way the stall doors are designed so the horses can stick their head out the middle of the bars. They were kind of different. Um, yeah. Yeah, it looks, it does look good to me. Yeah. So. Now, we don't know if the that's, water's that's a good working. Sign, you know. But, you know. Uh, I think I heard that they're, they're, they are no joke using filtered water for the horses. Yeah. Um, they bring your away from the water quality. Yeah. yeah. They have yeah. giant uh, bottles of Dasani for the horses. That's right. <laughs> five gallons. I have, an, I have another well, facilities question for Aaron. Yeah. As, an, as a journalist, are there specific accommodations that you guys are assigned or are recommended to use? I know the athletes... It's all athletes' village. Right. It's all kind of taken care of by their by their federation. Right. As a journalist, is it a free for all, or is there some kind sure. of guidance or recommendation? Do, do you want the long story or the short story? <laughs> <laughs> Give us the one with the most gory details. We yeah. want gory details. Most gory details. Okay, you got it. So yeah, there is on media housing at at the complex, which is sort of like military barracks for media housing. Um, that housing filled up pretty quickly. I know one person who snuck in there on her own got a room because someone else canceled like two months ago. But uh, for the most part, we have been on our own and I've been beating the drum to get us organized since about January, which is even late in the grand scheme of things. So um, our team ended up renting a suite at a B and B that was sort of down close to Coco Cabana. And we did this in about April, but as news unfolded and the summer went by and we read about all of the crime and the issues in Brazil, we started looking at how we would have to get up to Diodoro every day. And we basically have to go through the whole city. We were planning on hiring a driver, but we decided that would make us a target. And uh, yeah. when someone in our team mentioned bulletproof uh, windows for our car, <laughs> Shannon and I put our foot down and said, you know what? That's not a good idea. We're not doing that. We're not covering a war. We're covering forces. We're not going to get in a bulletproof car to do that. So uh, we changed our accommodation to somewhere that's right next to the Olympic Park, the main Olympic Park in apartments we've rented, but seems to be secure, clean, good, close apartment. Although Shannon's going to get there today and she's going to tell me. Um, so <laughs> she's going to let you know if you have hot water. It's just, and... like, <laughs> it's just like Airbnb. Like you never know what you're going to get till you get there, you know? Yeah. But uh, it, we will have access to the official transport, which we weren't going to have before. And that's, I think a lot better for security. Yeah. Well, they, Brazil decided to close idea. down. Don't take a they taxi. closed down. Oh no! Wait for it, please. Oh. They closed down the the new road they've been building, so that connects Diodoro to the main Olympic Center. So they decided to not let anyone on this road except for official vehicles. So our whole plan about having a driver wouldn't have flown, oh. and we would have had to take back roads, which is exactly what you don't want to do down there. I hear. So we'll uh, we'll we'll be on the official cars. We'll be getting there in a hopefully secure and quick way. Um, that's just our little 
Well, if it makes lodging you f- story, but if it makes it feel any better, uh, I just read this morning that they had a press conference. The state police of Brazil had a press conference yesterday, and they're putting an additional 634 officers to reinforce, uh, or actually, into the the slum areas there. What they call them the favelas, um, because there's favelas. Yeah, because in the last week the shootouts have become more routine between the gangs, so they're putting a lot more <laughs> state police down there and. And also, there apparently is one, they will have 13,700 boots on the ground each day responsible for the game security. That's a lot. And then uh, they have also reinforced the security. They put 10 motorcycle cops in the tunnel that leads from the uh, Rio de Janeiro International Airport because apparently cars have been getting robbed in this tunnel over the last couple of days uh, to the point where people are leaving their cars in the tunnel and running. Um, and they've now put security teams in the tunnel. Great. To, Thanks, Glenn. So, no problem. I just thought I'd help. I just thought I'd help. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Aaron, Aaron in three days when I have to go through that tunnel, you're now giving me some nightmares. Yeah, yeah. That, it's good now. The state police have said they've got it covered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, let's I'm talk, totally convinced. Let's talk jumping. So, uh, so where are we at? As I know that more teams have been selected, and kind of give us a preview of the jumping for for the Olympics. All teams have been selected. All teams were confirmed on July 20th. We published that whole list um, on thewellfly.com. Um, every individual and team is confirmed. They all had to start their quarantine really early because of agricultural restrictions. So even when I was in Europe on Monday, they were the horses there were going into quarantine already. Some of them had to do a 14-day quarantine. Then they're all flying around the 6th or the 7th to Rio. And, um, you know, USA is not really news because that's been locked down for right. quite a while. Um, we had uh, the most controversial thing that's happened so far is that uh, uh, Brazil, George Morris, who picked the, the Brazil team, uh, didn't pick Rodrigo Pessoa left him off the, the list, so Rodrigo won't be riding at the Olympics. Did you guys not know this? No, I didn't know that. No. Well, again, please go to noelfloyd.com and read about it. <laughs> I'm trying to find um, it right now. I'm trying to find it. Well, we, we so, so, so listen, I don't want to burn any bridges by saying this, but uh, in Olympic selection period, you have to jump clear around. And uh, Rodrigo didn't have the the summer he wanted to jump clear rounds when it mattered. And uh, other riders who were going for the team for Brazil did. So um, Rodrigo got chosen as the fifth, as the alternate. And uh, he said to a, a website that's published in French that uh, he wouldn't go as the fifth. And he said some, not, he didn't really approach it in the best way, let's just say. Uh, so he caused a little bit of a flap there. But um, that said, the four guys that are going, I think, deserve to go. Eduardo Menezes, Stefan Barches, Pedro Venice, and, uh, oh boy, oh, and uh, Dota Miranda. So those are the four who are going to go represent Brazil in show jumping. Um, they well, have had, all of them have had a pretty strong four weeks. So. Well, you know, and it does come down they, to either you have the horse the at the time you need the horse or you don't. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, and and we so we talked to George. We we got a good exclusive interview with George where he explained his, his uh, selection process. Um, that's up on the website still so if you search for it. And uh, he said, yeah, this is not about the rider. That obviously Rodrigo Pessoa is the best rider Brazil's seen. But uh, right now, he said exactly that. You know, he doesn't have the horse for it, and uh, he thinks that this other 
this guy, Stefan, who's uh, 25 and he's kind of young, um, he did jump double clear in both Nations Cups that were selection trials for Brazil. So uh, that's kind of way the, the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, know? but I, you know what? It's home country, and I can understand why Rodrigo is having, you know, is is feeling hurt because you know, obviously this is one he really wanted to do and probably yeah, thought he was he's going the to. most experienced by far and well and it's in your home country right his right? his argument was that he's got the experience to prepare well yeah that too so, yeah. but um that that was that was the only sort of unusual thing that happened we've got uh everyone else is is set to go and it's going to be a really interesting olympics i mean Germany's looking good. USA looking good. Netherlands hasn't had the best uh, two months, but they always seem to pull it together for a championship. Um, I'd really like to see one of the individual riders medal. There's some really interesting riders like Greg Broderick from Ireland, who's going uh, with an Irish sport horse going global. Um, he's a really nice guy, and it's a really great horse that was bred in Ireland. So it would be great to see him do well. And uh, we can remind everybody that uh, uh, the winner of the Olympics last time around team-wide was Great Britain, wasn't it, for jumping in 2012? It was, yeah. Great Britain's not so much a favorite uh, this year. They uh, they don't, and who knows, anything can happen, but they they don't have the epic duo of Scott Brash and Hello Sinktos, um, unfortunately. And uh, Ben Mayer is going, but not on the same horse. And John Whitaker is going, um, but he's not riding Argento, who he's had so much success with the last few months. So it'll be interesting to see how Great Britain does. So in 2012, it was Great Britain, Great Britain, Netherlands, and then Saudi Arabia. So Netherlands and Saudi Arabia are going to be there again? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Netherlands, yes. Saudi Arabia's equestrian program has been disbanded since right. 2012, and um, they didn't qualify a team or an individual. So I think we talked about this, yep, how Qatar yep. That's right. is yep. going yep. as a team for the first time ever. Yeah. So uh, no, Saudi Arabia is out of the mix. Uh, for the Middle East, Qatar is going to be represented. And also Morocco is represented individually um, as with uh, Abdel Kabir Owadar. He's a really wonderful rider, and he's the first equestrian from his country to ever attend the Olympics. Well, very cool. Now, I did... I have, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. This, this is sort of a, a 30,000-foot view kind of a question. In some sports, there tends to be dynasties in that a given country will just dominate the sport at an international level for an extended period of time. And some sports dynasties last a long time, and some sports dynasties of two or three years are considered long. In show jumping... Um, how, what is it generational in that you'll have one country tend to dominate for five or six or seven years, or does it turn over more often than that? I'll say that within Europe and within North America, it's for sure generational, not turning over so much. Um, mm -hmm. but within the, the Olympic games, you know, America won two gold medals in a row. Yeah, 2004 so that, and 2008, right? You wouldn't really call it a dynasty, but... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So America was right up there, and uh, I think they meddled at the games uh, before that also. But dynasty, I think you could use that word in dressage because Netherlands and Germany dominated dressage for so long mm -hmm. until Great Britain sort of overturned it in 2012. Um, it's those 
in dressage, it seems a lot more consistent with the same riders coming back year after year and meddling. Um, like Anki mm-hmm. von Grunsen, she just meddled at, I don't know how many Olympics in a row. But uh, in show jumping, it does turn over a little bit. And quicker, yeah. Within our sport, we've got we've got McLean and Beezy. I think they're going on, what, their third or fourth Olympics in a row? So in our sport, the most consistent ones are always going to come back because they're going to consistently have the best horses. All right, Jennifer's <laughs> going to work on getting our next guest on. I wanted to... I, I had a question from a listener, and the question was... And I just got it not too long ago. The question was, for, for, for those of us that don't follow show jumping exclusively, there's always confusion about how the competition actually works um, with the different rounds in show jumping. So is there any way we can give kind mm-hmm. of the Reader's Digest version of how that will go? I know round one is kind of the qualifier, right? Yeah, I mean, every round matters. There's, there's uh, five rounds of show jumping. Okay, now I'm going to do off the top of my head. So you're yep. going to test me. Five rounds, yeah. But uh, the, first, the first qualifier, every, <laughs> everybody jumps. And you have to, you, it's the Olympics. You have to do well every day. If you go in the first round and you have uh, four down, you're pretty much out of the game, right? Uh, if you're a part of a team, you're qualifying your team for the final. And if you're an individual, you're just jumping for yourself. So by the third day, as an individual, if you're lucky enough to have jumped clear, you can be in the running for a medal That's on the right. last day. Yeah. And the team competition is first, so the medals are going to happen for the team on the 17th of August and the individual round, which I believe is the top 25, and they have to ride two rounds on that day on August 19th. That's the individual medals. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think this year it's 35 I'll riders. Say this. It's, way, it's way less complicated. Uh, I think it's, it's got to be more than that. Yeah, it's, it's way less complicated than the World Cup final. Yeah, round before. four takes the top thirty-five riders. Uh, follow, uh, and thirty-five. It, okay. Yep, and only three riders may be from the same country, so it's only three riders per country. Uh, so if the, if rider has four qualified, then they'll send their top three into that final individual round. Right. Uh, so you're right. It is uh, basically rounds right. one, it's, two, and three are you're, you're you are qualifying for individual, but you're also you know if you're on a team, you're representing the team in those rounds. Um, exactly. And then, and then rounds four exactly. and five go into the individual, and then at the end of round five, you have you have your winner. But, yep. Very good. Hey, I'm, you impressed it's the test. You get jumping. an A. You passed the test. You've watched a few thousand yeah. of these. You <laughs> okay, well, in a week, <laughs> talk to me again in a week when I'm there, and we'll see how I'm doing. So. <laughs> Now, are you there? Ride from the airport. Thanks a lot for that. (laughs) Are you there as a photographer or as a? Are you going to be writing articles or taking pictures or both? Yeah, I am. uh, I'm. I'm reporting for Practical Horsemen in all three disciplines. So you can find my reports on I think Equisearch.com with Practical Horsemen. I'm also taking some photos, and um, then I'm covering the show jumping in a dual capacity for Practical Horsemen and Noel Floyd. So I'll be quite busy. Very good. Well, we'll look forward to reading your articles at all those places. And thank you so much, Aaron, as always. And uh, best of luck. Have fun. Thank you. I think I'll need it. Thanks. (laughs) All right, Aaron. Bye. Well, that's fun. And we are going to be getting reports. We have a couple of people that are supposed to be checking in with us if they got if they have internet at the Media Center in, in Rio. We should be getting reports throughout the next couple of weeks as well from there.
Well, our next guest is Sarah Becker, who is a sports psychologist. And Sarah, you know, good morning, Sarah, by the way. Good morning. How are you, Glenn? Good. We just spent the last half an hour talking about uh, the Olympics. And of course, you know, sports psychology comes in a little bit with Olympic athletes. Uh, And you are from Spark Performance and Coaching, correct? Correct. Yeah, we're based in uh, Middleburg, Virginia. Oh, very good. The home of the Chronicle and fox hunting extraordinaire all over. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. A very, very horsey place to be. I've never been there. We got to get there sometime, Jennifer. We're going to have to head up to Middleburg. We've never been there. I don't know how we've missed Middleburg, but we have. We will never stay in Middleburg. There's no internet. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that certainly is a problem around here. We definitely have a lot of country and a lot of hills that block the signal. That's for sure. (laughs) So, Sarah, what's your background? Were you a competitive rider? Uh, Yes, actually, I started riding when I was about nine. I rode with, um, I was fortunate enough because I grew up in New Jersey, which is, as you know, the upper center of show jumping to, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to train with some of the, uh, the top people, uh, you know, of all time, really. Um, I started out, I trained with, um, Leo Conroy, uh, Carol Thompson. I trained with, uh, Scott Evans, um, also Maxine Best, who was Greg Best's mom, um, you know, it kind of, the, the sort of, the list goes on. Um, I was very, very fortunate to get to train with all those people at various times in my, uh, you know, my amateur career. Um, and uh, I did it as a junior, and then I came back to it as uh, as an amateur, uh, you know, a little bit later on. And um, I, uh, I really got into show jumping in particular. So you competed for a lot of years. Are you still competing? Um, I competed for many, many years. Actually, um, I've been taking a break for the last few years because uh, life uh, threw me a curveball. A wonderful surprise uh, who is now uh, three and a half years old and just did her lead line debut. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My my daughter did her lead line debut at Upperville. Oh, really? uh, Yes, to great success on her pony Brigadoon. And... um, and uh, we actually got a little bit of press. It was very, very fun and exciting. So, uh, you know, that's kind of, I'm, I'm gradually stepping back into the show ring uh, little by little. Um, I competed for many, many years um, at the top levels. I got the wonderful opportunity, actually. I bought a horse when he was very, very young, when he was six, from John and BZ Madden. And he ended up going to uh, the... Uh, the World Games in 2006 in Aachen, Germany, and uh, jumping for Argentina there, and because um, I had a wonderful partnership with Max Amaya, who was a Grand Prix rider that some people may, I'm sure many people have heard of, and he also competed at the Pan Ams in Rio, actually, in 2007, and then um, Laura Chapeau rode him for the, the following year um, to many Grand Prix wins. Very cool. Getting back to the three-year-old uh, lead line class, there's nothing cuter than that, by the way, in, in all of equestrian <laughs> sports. Uh, there's just nothing cuter. Uh, yeah. No, it was, it was a wonderful experience. I have to say it was the first time I was ever in the show ring in high heels. And, uh, you know, because that, <laughs> the, the Upperville lead line is sort of like, you know, it's kind of a holy grail of lead lines. And everyone, you're required to wear the fancy hat and the dress and the, and the high heels. So fortunately, the pony cooperated. Um, maybe fortunately, it was also 95 degrees. Now, is this actually your child's pony? Or was it borrowed? Yes. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, no. It's actually her pony. He's technically a mini. He uh, was a gift. We lived last year um, actually in Wellington, Florida at my seasonal residence, and I was doing a mentorship with Laura King of uh, Summit Hypnosis and Performance um, down there. And uh, uh, we had a wonderful friend, Dee Dee Woods, who gave us this um, amazing mini that they'd had since he was a weanling. And uh, he, uh, you know, they passed him along to us. And uh, he's been a wonderful companion for um, for my daughter um, to learn, you know, kind of the ropes, learn, you know, how to take care of a pony and so forth. And then, uh, and then, you know, he's, he's moved on because she's, believe it or not, already outgrown him. He's moved on to his uh, job as the um, companion and pastor mate of that wonderful horse I was telling you about, Church Road, who went to all those big international shows, who's now 20 years old and retired. So Church Road now has a mini, uh, a mini companion. Yes, yes, named Brigadoon. And so <laughs> they both have very fancy names, um, and they are living, um, you know, they come in and out of, you know, the field and so on. They live at home with us, and uh, and it's just, it's it's really a dream come true, to be honest, to move here to Middleburg and, and be within such a wonderful horsey community. Well, now let's talk a little bit about, uh, you're a sports psychologist, so let's talk a little bit about, well, we're talking Olympics, and I think what happens is at the top level, we kind of all think those that those top riders, the Olympic-level riders, don't have any problems with sports psychology. They're just uh, going out and doing it every day, and they've they, they figured this all out. And I bet you that's not yeah. true, is it? No, actually, it's not. In fact, my mentor, uh, Laura King, I'm actually technically a, a hypnotherapist and coach, and okay. so we actually use hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming, which, um, you know, a, a lot of elements of which are used in traditional sports psychology, and it's really about creating mindsets. And people, you're absolutely right that at the top levels, you know, I mean, we all feel pressure no matter what, whether we're, you know, uh, short stirrup, you know, um, or, or at the Olympic level. And, um, uh, you know, I know Laura has a number of her clients actually going to Rio. Um, she has, uh, you know, wonderful people that she works with and, um, and so on. And, uh, you know, it really is, uh, you know, a, a big, uh, thing in sports is, is creating mindset. I would say, uh, you know, I don't want to say percentage wise what part it is, but it's certainly, you know, with the equestrian, uh, disciplines, because you're, you're not, you don't have an unfeeling racket or, or golf club or ball or whatever that you're kicking around. You're, you know, your, your, your partner is a, a feeling, uh, sentient being and you transmit your feelings to them. So it's essential that you're able to stay cool under pressure. I know they always said in tennis that, uh, as a matter of fact, there was a book called The Inner Game of Tennis, and they, yeah. they always said that tennis is 80%, 80% mental and 20% physical. Now, I played tennis for a long time, and I begged to differ a little bit because I was always tired. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I think you're right. I think once you throw the horse into that combination, it, it changes things. Uh, but it still is, yeah. you know, it's still a good percentage mental. So I'm really interested in hypnosis because, you know, that that is something that we don't always think about when it comes to preparing for competition or, you know, to to get over whatever you're going through mentally that might be a block to your riding. So how does it work and does it work? 
Yeah, so um, hypnosis is actually just another word for trance, and we experience this actually multiple times, all of us, um, a day, multiple times a day. Say, for example, you're driving on a familiar route. Say you have a, a, a daily commute, for example. If you've ever had the experience of going, you know, from your home to, say, your office or your work or whatever, uh, and you're like, oh, how'd I get here? You know, the time just flew by. Um, you know, those are hallmarks of a type of, of hypnosis, sort of a trance. You, you're doing something that you're unconsciously competent at. Mm. You know the route to work. It's easy. So you get there and you're just, your brain is allowed to go ahead and just sort of have to a daydream. I mean, obviously you're paying attention to the road and you're doing what you need to do. Um, and it's the same experience that we have when we're, say, for example, involved in reading a book or watching a movie. You get entirely sort of, uh, you know, entranced, so to speak, with that experience and time just sort of flies by. And that's one of the hallmarks. Another hallmark of it uh, is, uh, you know, this, this incredible focus, your ability to block out everything around you. And what I'm also describing is what people also have termed peak performance. When you're in that um, zone, so to speak, when you're, uh, you know, riding at your, your best or your, your, you're playing tennis at your best. It actually applies to all sports. Um, that's where the mental part comes in. When you're able to, you know, have that calm, focused, relaxed attention, you find yourself able to execute what you need to without any kind of quote unquote thinking about it. I mean, I don't know if that's an experience that you've ever had. Oh yeah, and I think we all have we all have that. And you you were right to use an analogy like with driving. It's an everyday thing you do all the time, yeah. and ninety percent of the time, unfortunately, you're not thinking about it. Right, you're just doing it, um, and that's <laughs> that point. You know, yeah. we, we taught in sales. We taught the levels of learning, and you know, unconscious competence being the highest level of learning, which means you're doing things without really thinking about it. And I would assume if we take that back to show jumping, you know, these guys have jumped a million horses and a million venues around around the world, but yet I assume because it is the Olympics, you're putting a little, it, they're really just going in and jumping another round, but you know, right. you're putting extra pressure on yourself, even though the, the point sure. of and unconscious competence at that point, I mean, they're doing it, they could do it in their sleep. And I think sometimes yeah, depending I mean, how hungover they are, they do uh, do it in their sleep, but. Um, well, they do do it in their sleep. In fact, and that's part of the, they are doing it, you know, even if they haven't received any sports psychology or hypnosis um, work, they are, you know, the top professionals uh, in the business that we see, you know, calmly and coolly, even recovering from baubles, you know, even recovering from sort of what we would term as a mistake. Um, they just continue on, um, you know, keep calm and gallop on, so to speak. Um, what what we do in our work is we... Um, basically are able to create that calm confidence through a series of steps. And so how hypnosis works is basically when we, you know, a lot of people know about hypnosis maybe from a stage show that they saw where people were, you know, I don't know, doing funny things. Yeah, they're, you know? they're always and, seeing the audience naked. You know, you're going to visualize everybody naked, everybody laughs. because Right, yeah, yeah. right. Well, what's What's really amazing about that is that our mind is extremely powerful. And in fact, it is a real condition. So we can, you know, create that in our, 
in our sessions that then allow people to have the tools to be able to use that in their real life. So, and what do I mean about that? So we, we work on three rules, which is you are your thoughts, thoughts create a physical reaction, and imagination is more powerful than knowledge. So what I mean by that is there's, so for example, like when you're talking about confidence and the ability to do something in your mindset, the two sides of the confidence coin are just, you know, if you think something bad is going to happen in the future, that's lack of confidence. If you think that something good is going to happen in the future, that's confidence. And the only thing about that, there's, there's nothing technically real about that. It's a thought. And so we can, we can reprogram that thought in the subconscious mind when we induce a trance state. Now, I mean, you know, it's basically self-induction. Everybody is doing this all the time to themselves. And we just, you know, provide a framework of reference around it. Um, and then the thoughts lead to a physical reaction. You've ever felt nervous. You know what the hallmarks of feeling nervous are. It's, you know, you might stop breathing. You might tense up. You might, uh, you know, not be able to move. And that is, uh, you know, just, it's only caused by your thoughts. So if you're able to control your thoughts, you're able to control your physical reactions, which, as we know, are incredibly important, um, you know, when you're riding a horse. And then imagination is more powerful than knowledge. We, the subconscious mind, which is like the hard drive of the computer, it's, it's actually 88% of our mind, um, is, uh, doesn't know the difference between imagined and real, technically real. We put that in quotation marks. What's real and imagined to the subconscious mind, it's the same thing. So that's why visualization is so important, um, you know, and we can create optimal rides and have the person continue to do this in their everyday life. You know, I give people permission, my clients permission to daydream every day, every day. And that repetition, that repetition now creates a framework of reference for your mind so that then your mind sort of, when you then get into that situation, it now defaults to the optimal. Now, and there's a good point, and it's something, let's get off of the Olympians now, okay? Let's go down to the adult amateur level, where there, okay. you know, there there are four levels, basically, of uh, uh, recognized four levels of competence, and, and you know, unconscious yeah. incompetence is the first one. You just don't know what you don't know. You're just starting out. You're a beginner. You have no idea what you don't know at that point. And then you get into conscious right. incompetence, and then conscious competence, which is the two levels, level two and three there, uh, is where you start getting your dull amateurs and things. And one of the things that you're you're addressing, and we used to have this actually, and, and, and this applies to anything you're learning, including sales, which I taught for 10 years, is a lot of times people were trying to rush getting from that conscious incompetence to that conscious competent level. They were trying to rush that and not actually practicing the skills it takes. It's not all mental. You do, you do have to learn muscle memory. You do have to learn the skills. And in their mind, they thought they could shortcut that. And I'm sure you have some people coming to you thinking, they can shortcut that. I'll just get hypnotized and I'll be able to do that jump without thinking about it, even though I haven't practiced it for hours on end. Do you get into that situation right. too? Um, not necessarily. Okay. I mean, what I always say is that, you know, I mean, yes, of course, there's always people looking for a, a magic bullet and a, and a quick fix, you know, I mean, but most people I believe um, have an understanding that, for example, especially at the adult amateur level, um, you know, that they are 
they need to continue with their training physically. So one of the things that we address is I say, you know, I, I serve as a complement to your physical training. And essentially, it's, it's a little bit like, like it, though, in the fact that you are doing work in between and then you're coming to me, you know, once a week, you know, once every two weeks, whatever, you know, parameters we set for our work, um, you know, in terms of time frame. But, um, and that's also sometimes dictated by what the person's, uh, you know, hoped for expectations, outcome, and, and so forth. But um, one of the things that, uh, you know, I really uh, work with with my clients and teach my clients is that, uh, that that imagination is more powerful than knowledge. That thing that, you know, people will say all the time, like, I know I need to do this, but I can't seem to do it. Well, that's because 12% of their mind is working on that. 12% of their mind is, um, you know, doing all, all the work, the willpower work, so to speak. Um, and 80% of that mind is overriding it. So what we need to do is, is create that repetition in their mind where the subconscious mind, again, doesn't know the difference between real and imagined. So you can, I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, of course, I agree with you. You have to do the physical work as well. You have to, you know, but if you're only riding five days a week, how are you going to get up to that? level that you want to get to. Say, right. for example, you have your one horse, that's what you can afford to do. I say, you can ride in your mind. You can ride, actually, you know, they say like, um, you know, practice doesn't make perfect, only good practice makes perfect, right? That you can do that good practice every day in your mind. In fact, you can do it multiple times a day. I'm not saying that you're going to become a pro, but that's how the pros end up um, as good as they do, right? They, they have that many rides under their belt, like you mentioned earlier. You know, these people at the Olympic level, they've ridden and ridden and ridden and ridden and ridden. I mean, they still need, you know, the, the mental mindset support as well. But, um, but that's how it's really pertinent to the amateur, is, is really creating that habit pattern. Uh, 97% of what we do is habit. Um, you know, again, getting back to the three-year-old, my three-year-old does not realize that she has to put clothing on when she right. goes outside. <laughs> That's right. You know, we're developing that habit. <laughs> Most people think of habits as bad, right? When I say, oh, somebody has a habit of, you know, fill in the blank, right? They right. think, oh, that must be a bad habit. Well, habits are neither good or bad. They're just habits. Right. So right. What, what kind of habits do you want to make? You know, and we got to do it every day. That's so, all. Sarah, we've plain run out of time already. I need to have you back and you and I need to sit down for an hour and do a show on this because I could talk all day about this, having taught, you know, in the past. And I just think we could have a good time and get in a lot deeper on this. I think it would be a lot of fun. But in the meantime, where can people find you? Um, they can find me at um, sparkperformanceandcoaching.com. Um, uh, so we're online and all the pertinent information, more information if, if folks want to find out about you know, uh, this practice and the practice generally, um, and, and definitely reach out to me either by, by email or on the website or, um, you know, uh, I, my, my cell phone, believe it or not, is even on there. I mean, I'm, okay. I, I, I love for people to get in touch with me and, uh, and this is, this is, I love to do this. It's been a, a, a huge difference in my life. It's been wonderful and I'd love to chat again. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. All right. Take, all right, care, take Glenn. care, Glenn. Thank you. 
We're going to take a quick break for a song, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to be talking about the first, as I understand it, the first smart saddle out there. Yes, you can connect your saddle to an app on your phone. But first, the horse that can fly. We're talking about jumping today. We might as well talk about horses that can fly. We'll be right back. Caged in, need to get a little air so I can breathe again. Got a thirst in my heart, hunger in my eyes, need to satisfy my soul. Free my wild side, my wheels have been spinning like crazy in my head. Gotta get back to living before I forget. My sights are set where that green grass is. She gave me up the fence Yeah, 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 yeah I need somewhere to run Somewhere to rock Fresh pair of wings And a long stretch of sky I've sat up these dreams I'm holding on tight Need a good, strong, tall wind And a horse that can back and a lot on my mind yeah the weight of this world really gets me sometimes there's a freedom inside me i've been missing so much gonna kick the gates wide open and live a big old cloud of dust yeah 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 i need somewhere to run somewhere to rock a fresh pair of I've sat up these dreams, holding them tight. Need a good, strong, tall wind and a horse that can fly. Yeah. Giddy up, look at what lies on the Second star to the left, then straight on till morning. Sunny somewhere to run, somewhere to run. A fresh pair of wings and a long stretch of skies. That's Templeton Thompson with A Horse That Can Fly. You can find all her music at templetonthompson.com. You're listening to Horses in the Morning. I am Glenda Geek here with Coach Jen. Unfortunately, Emily Thompson, who usually hosts our uh, jumping episode the first Tuesday of every month, came down with a bad case of food poisoning right before the show this morning and could not be here. We hope that she gets better soon. And also, I wanted to mention, you know, we were talking about the levels of learning. Jennifer and I did a series 
on that over on Horse Tip Daily. It was episode number 469, 470, 471, and 472. If you get geeky about that kind of thing and uh, you're in business or or you... Uh, you you know you like that kind of uh, talk where we get geeky about that stuff, then you can head on over and check that out. And I think Jennifer will post a link to it on our Facebook page as well. That's on Horse Tip Daily. But now, speaking about getting geeky, I don't know that you can get any more geeky than a smart saddle, but we have Brian on with us from Voltaire Saddles. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about the Blue Wing Saddle. Now that sounds really cool. <laughs> you know, I sure. my name's Glenn the Geek, so you know this is right up my alley right here. <laughs> uh, it's funny how we've all become uh, very, very tech savvy. Yes. over the years, even an and in this case, like even our butts so, apparently. So uh, <laughs> right, exactly. So the Blue Wing Saddle is really kind of very amazing. For me, I'm a older school kind of guy. I like things very traditional, and I like my saddles very traditional. Um, and the Blue Wing saddle is a quantum leap forward in design and technology. Um, if you look at this saddle, if you pull the cover off the saddle and look at it, it looks like any of our other saddles. Um, be- beautifully designed with great leather, etc. But the real uh, technology is inside it. Um, so it's normal saddles are made with a wood and steel tree, wood lamination and steel, um, very traditional, been made that way for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, we're using a tree that's a composite material. It's not a carbon fiber tree. Uh, carbon fiber tends to be very brittle. Um, but it's a composite material It's very dense, very hard, uh, but it flexes with the horse as it moves. Uh, so it allows more freedom of movement for the horse. Um, we've designed a new panel system for it uh, that's very different from our normal than our normal panel system. We've adapted foam from the running shoe industry. The foam is uh, it has a very high rebound. Um, it's softer um, and it conforms to the horse's back. So. Unlike a memory foam, which collapses when you put pressure on it, Mm -hmm. heat and pressure, it collapses. Um, This maintains its integrity, so it wraps around the horse without collapsing on it and having the saddle sit right on the horse. Um, And it's the first saddle that's known for its neurologic benefit for horses. Um, UC Davis uh, Veterinary School is actually doing a study on the benefit for the horse's back. Um, And when we first introduced it and we had some discussions about it, um, I was a little sort of show me, a little Missouri in me, show me. Um, And now that I've gotten my demo and I'm out there showing it to clients, it really is amazing. I've seen it uh, on some horses just a complete 180 uh, turnaround. Horses that come out cold-backed and with their head up in the air and you put the saddle on them and then within a minute or two, they really have changed and changed the way they move. Um, and so like with, with every saddle... With, with fitting, that in mind, you, so less padding is sure. better. You know, we all tend to put 12 pads on, right? Yeah. So with this sure, saddle, yeah. from what yeah. I'm hearing, then just a basic pad and that's it. Yeah, yeah, just a, a basic pad. It's... Uh, it's it's quite interesting because it is sort of a universal fit. It's sort of, I would say it fits probably 80% of the horses out there without any help at all. 
Um, we we make uh, an additional pad, a half pad that goes with it um, that you can adjust so you can build it up in certain areas if you need it. Um, but for the most part, I've seen it work on 80% of the horses are better. And yes, you're right. Less is more. For me, in saddle fitting, uh, I want fewer pads and I want a saddle that fits really well and is well balanced. And this meets that criteria for me. Got it. Okay. So I want to know about this, uh, how it connects to my smartphone. I see a little graphic here <laughs> on the Voltaire website that has a little yep. dotted line between my cell phone and my saddle. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> oh yeah, let's get we'll get we'll get to that part for sure. It is the world's first connected saddle. Um, it's, uh, there's a chip in the saddle and it has an external piece that attaches to your girth. Uh, and that's the piece that talks to your phone, uh, via Bluetooth. So it's an application. It, uh, it can sense horses, your horse's movement. Um, it, uh, measures symmetry of motion, um, and it grades it on a scale of zero to 10. So you can tell whether your horse is a little bit more left, a little bit more right, and not moving quite symmetrically. Um, it can tell you which hand you're on, so which direction you're, you're riding in, right or left. Um, and it can tell you what gait, walk, trot, or canter. Um, it maps your jump course. So if you jump a course, it will look at your phone and you can see what your jump course was. It will tell you what strides you use between fences as well as the stride length that you used. Um, and to make it even more gee whiz, uh, technologically great after five rides, it will automatically recognize any horse that you're on. So you no longer have to put the information in. So if a trainer had the saddle and they were at five or eight horses a day, they would just ride, and then after a few rides, it would recognize every horse uh, based on their movement. Well, this is kind of cool. I'm I'm looking at the little graphic you have you here have on VoltaireDesign.com, and it maps out the course that you just did. And you look at the little map; has a little line where you went. You went from mm-hmm. between fence four and fence five. You didn't feel like fence five rode as well as it should. You thought you had a perfect line. You can look back at that little diagram and go, oh. That's not the line I thought I rode. I thought I rode into that corner when, in fact, look at that. It's a big old flat spot. So it's very interesting. How how quickly do you get feedback from that? Can I ride a course and then zing my phone out from my back pocket and look at what I just did? Yeah, you'll just have to sync it um, quickly. So it doesn't it doesn't automatically sync to your phone. You'll have to sync it. Well, that's um, good because so it's not it's not collected by connected by Bluetooth then. It's yeah, the piece is connected by Bluetooth okay. to the phone, but it, but it, so it connects to the to the sensor, and then the sensor connects to the phone. Gotcha. Okay, got it. But it doesn't auto sync like my weather app does and suck up my battery. No, it does not. Yeah, no, it doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so the interesting part too is I think that it, it follow that it tells the gates, and I, you know that's. Did we ever think we were going to get that 10 years ago? No. But uh, yeah, that's really cool, too. Uh, and I assume it, you, you, it, the time spent at each gate, so you know when you've come off stride and, and that kind of thing. I, I can see this, you know, not just for show jumping, but for, for cross-country, for anything down the line. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a fantastic tool for, for trainers and, and for amateurs alike. Because, you know, you go out and your trainer may say to you, listen, I think you, I really need you to work 80% of your time today to the left. We need to, you know, b- build your horse musculature to that side. So work 80% of your time to the left or ride for 20 minutes. Um, and you come back and you think you've ridden for 20 minutes and you look and you rode for five. But it felt like 20. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
None of us have ever done that. <laughs> so, yeah, right. That never happened. No. Um, so, you know, so it's, so I think it's really great to be able to do that because you get real results. Um, you'll be able to tell in real time what it is that you're doing. And if you actually did what you thought you were doing. Right. Very interesting. So now, and is then this... there's the whole, the whole nifty leather thing too. There, yeah. That's just, yeah. You know, so, so we've developed, we've worked. Yeah. The, thank you. That's uh that's a great point. We're using a new kind of calfskin on this saddle. The calfskin is as grippy as our buffalo leather, which is quite grippy. It's almost like sort of being stuck to the saddle uh, with Velcro. Uh, but this, the, the calfskin is tanned without using chromium salts, which uh, makes this leather more environmentally friendly in the tanning process. Um, I used to be an environmental lobbyist, so for me, um, that was it's, big, uh, yeah. it's a good thing. Yeah, that's really big okay. for me. Um, and it's a beautiful leather. You know, it's a, you know, we use very, very high quality leathers in our saddle. Um, and this carries on that tradition of very high quality, uh, very high quality saddle. Now, I have a leather, Look, a, a leather nerd question for you. Sure. Because of its, because of the unique tanning process, does that change the care at all? Do you use a specific kind of cleaning product, a conditioners and things like that? Does that change that whole process or can you use what you've always used? You can use what you've always used. Of course, we always recommend that you use the products that we supply. Um, And uh, (laughs) of course, um, but yeah, you can clean it as normal. And and actually that was, that's a great question because when I got my demo, I called the office and I said, because of the new leather, can I do what I always do? And, if, and the answer was, of course, yes, you can do it. All right. Uh, just uh, Jennifer has to go get our next guest lined up here. But I, I uh, wanted to ask you, is this all purpose jumping or are there going to be more uh, styles in the future? Um, so at this point, there are no plans to change it. It is a traditional-looking double-flap jumping saddle. Okay. Um, I It does have some crossover. I think that I have uh, quite a few clients that are cross-country and event riders, um, and they like it, and they like the idea of being able to use the technology to their benefit. So I do see some crossover. I do have some some eventing clients that ride in more traditional flaps rather than the monoflaps. Um but for now, the show, show jumping world is our target market. Um, it's a wonderful product, and uh, um, I'll be up and hit Saugerties this last week of this series. So if anybody wants to try, come visit me. All right, very good. Well, we appreciate you being on and chatting about this. It's so cool, and you know, I can't imagine in another ten years where we're going to be with technology for for <laughs> things like this. You know, it just it, we're just starting. Yeah, I, I believe that this is just the tip of the iceberg. I think uh, future generations of this of this saddle coming out will have more and more information. And data data is great, but what you do with the data is more important. And I think that this application gives you an opportunity to see the data in a in a useful way. Where can people find it? Uh, you can find the saddle through any of our regional reps. Uh, we have uh, a dozen reps around the country. Uh, from California to the East Coast. Um, if you'd like more information, you can visit our website at VoltaireDesign.com. VoltaireDesign.com, and that's spelled V-O-L-T-A-I-R-E, VoltaireDesign.com. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me on. Have right. a great day. Take care. 
I want to remind everybody that uh, before we get to our next guest, Jamie will be back tomorrow telling us all about her adventure. She posted a bunch of pictures from yesterday. She was at uh, Monty Roberts, and they started day one of the training there. So she posted a bunch of pictures, including one of Shy Boy, of course, the uh, horse that Monty wrote a book about. Shy Boy was in the pub. That's right. Monty has his own pub there. It's beautiful, actually. Uh, Monty has its own pub there at the farm, and Shy Boy was in the pub. There's some great pictures there. If you want to find out about that, then you can go to uh, you can go to Jamie's Facebook page. Just search for Jamie Jennings, and you'll find the pictures there of Shy Boy in the pub. Well, now, you know, our title sponsor of this show is Walsh Products, and Leslie is joining us. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, better than Emily, apparently. Um, yes, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> poor Emily. And she felt really bad. She was like going to the last minute. She was sending me emails up to the last minute before the show started. And she finally said, I don't think I can do this. So, And we've all been there, right? Food poisoning, we've all been there. And, uh, Absolutely. We wish her the Absolutely. best. Absolutely. Summer flu. Yes. <laughs> but I've been covering here. I don't know how I've been doing, but, you know, considering I'm a guy who drives and jumping is not something that you really want to do in a carriage, it it, it means something has gone terribly wrong. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and it usually does not end well. But uh, you're here to help us out. So what are we talking about today? Well, I think what's on everybody's mind is the Olympics. Yes. And we have, uh, Walsh does a lot of very good work with um, a long roster of sponsored riders who help us design product and work with us on what products to choose and how to make them and things. So we cover, um, we have athletes going from Canada, Great Britain, Japan, Spain, um, and the U.S. So we're super excited about that. Yeah, Yeah. a ton of people going. So Um, tell us who some of them are. Um, well, one popular name would be Eric Lamaz, uh, from Canada, uh, super excited for him and his horse, fine lady, um, Tiffany Foster, also from Canada, uh, Nick Skelton, um, from Great Britain and coming back and he, he sounds like he's going to retire after this Olympics. So this will be the last time to see him there. Is this like a Muhammad Ali retirement or is he actually going to retire? Well, <laughs> I think he's going to retire. Okay, just check. <laughs> I think I think he's actually going to retire. And of course, yeah. he was part of the um, gold medal team in the last Olympics in 2012. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then from our U.S. Um, team, we have Kent Farrington and McLean Ward. So that's a powerhouse. Team Maybe we right should there. have just asked Lord. you who wasn't using your products. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and then Lynn Szymanski is the alternative, uh, alternative, alternative, sorry, alternate on the um, eventing team. And she's already down there and she's doing yeah. a great job keeping us all informed on, on, on Donner's uh, adventures as he settle, she settles into the Olympic Village. So that's really fun. Are you seeing, uh, are you hearing anything, uh, you know, about the, what her account? Her, yeah. Yeah, her accounts have all been super positive. So, um, of course, we've heard some other stories. Um, so far, they're having a good time. Um, I hope that continues, and they'll they'll lay the groundwork for the the show jumping team and dressage teams to come. Well, you know what? And inventors are less picky. Uh, yeah, they're, they're used to kind of rough conditions at events. So, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. If you go to an event, nothing goes, not all, you know, it doesn't go 100% correct at any event. So they're kind of used to that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So we're really trying to put out the word. um, We know that the Olympics, um, the equestrian sports are under review and that they've been moved down in class. And we're really trying to get out the word that everybody should be watching. Just get those ratings on NBC Sports and make sure everybody tunes in and pays attention. That's right. And that is important. And Jennifer just posted on our Horses in the Morning Facebook page this morning a complete list of when everything's going to be on TV, when it's going to be on mainstream TV, when you can watch it on USA, and then also where to catch it online. So that and all the dates and times and everything, she posted that this morning. So you can find that there. I'm I'm so excited. I'm a little bummed. We were were talking about it yesterday, how we're a little bummed that Cross Country is on a Monday. Um, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't seem right, does it? No, it doesn't. It's not fair to those people who actually have to work for a living. So, uh, we, you know, it starts at nine o'clock. So what I figured we'd do here on the show on Monday is we'll check in periodically and get you some play by play. We'll tune in to the coverage. And I don't know if we're legally allowed to do that. I was just going to put the microphone in front of the television set and sit back and watch. Oh, there you go. Oh, there <laughs> perfect. You go. We can just, that'll be our show Monday. We just, we'll, we'll just piggyback their there coverage. Go. I'm sure NBC wouldn't mind. I think there that's a great idea. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. They won't idea. mind at all. No, they won't notice. <laughs> so. I think that's a great idea. I just think it's really important. We've been talking about this in the office. I just think it's really important that we, we get everybody aware that, um, that the equestrian sports are under review. And this is, you know, if you haven't tuned in b- before, find a way to do it this year. Well, now let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what products are they using. So now they're down there with the Olympics. Which of your products are they using when they're there in Rio? So I actually I really love that um, that everybody's doing all of this, all of the video of how horses travel and how they fly, and <laughs> which is I mean we're used to it, but um, for the general public, they're like, how do the horses actually get there? And so we're loving the fact that there's been lots of video of the shipping halter, the wall shipping halter, which is very popular amongst our, our sponsored riders. So they use that, that, that fuzzy, cozy shipping halter on those long flights um, and the leads, of course, um, but that's a very popular item. And then when they get down there, they'll be training, you know, draw reins and all of our training equipment. Um, while they while they settle in to the Olympic Village, um, and all of our standard equipment, um, Zandona boots will be there. Um, Zandona boots are we distribute those from Italy. Really popular boot in Europe. We're really trying to get them a little more popular here in the U.S. Um, I know it's hard for people to switch brands, but um, people seem people to be attached to their brand of boots too that they use for their horses. Yes. I, I don't know why that has become a thing, but it's, there are certain things you use on your horse that you become attached to and you're scared to death to change it. Yes, I agree with you. So that's why we've kind of, we've kind of got into the eventing crowd because I think they're a little more, um, open to change and trying new things. They're not so scared of that. Yeah. (laughs) So, so we're making, we're making some headway there. So Lynn uses those boots, Lynn Szymanski, um, and then uh, Laura Kraut is a big proponent of those of those boots. Um, her whole stable uses them, so we're getting there. But it's it is it's 
tough to get people to change their minds. Yeah. I mean, what, Most you definitely. Know, it's, it's what we say about retailers, too. You know, we people get used to using the same retailers. And I do, too, you know, for different things. Yet, I've had good experiences recently buying stuff from, from not Amazon and uh, going, mm-hmm. wow, there are other companies out there. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same way in the horse world. Well, Leslie, are we going to see you in a couple of weeks here at Ada? Oh, yes, absolutely. We will be there. Walsh will be there. Susan Susan Robinson and I will be there. Cool. Very Manning good. Manning the booth. All right. Well, then Come we'll, and say hello. We'll definitely do that. And you stop by the table also. Well, we're never there. We'll stop and see you. Uh, and <laughs> Come by and see us. <laughs> it's walshproducts.com. It's W-A-L-S-H products.com. Thank you so much, Leslie. Really appreciate it. I apologize again for Emily not joining us today, and she does too. No problem. I hope she feels better. All right. Thanks a bunch. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode here on Horses in the Morning. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for helping me uh, helping me get through this. Appreciate it. <laughs> the jumping My episode. pleasure. And uh, we want to thank all of our guests and our sponsor, Walsh Products, for, for making this show possible. And also, S Equestrian, which we didn't talk about at all today, but I'm sure Emily will the next time she is on. She'll be back again next month, and we hope that she gets better soon. Jamie will be back tomorrow. Uh, remember, the easiest way to listen to our shows is on our app, I- iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. And we also are very excited to remind everybody about our new shows, Plaid Horse uh, Magazine. We'll be starting the last weekend of the month. And then Thursday, we're going to have a little fun in the Draft Horse world with the Draft Horse episode brought to you by Draft Horse Journal. Thanks, Jennifer. Bye. Take care, everybody. I'm going to find the music. There we go. Right, get the button there. There you go.